Good morning. Luke, the first chapter is what we're going to take a look at this morning, and I'll just go ahead and pull up these first few slides uh, before we get right into our lesson. The, the title of the lesson is, And the Story Continues, and that's based upon our scripture reading this morning from Luke chapter 1, and verses 5 through, 25, 5 through 25 there. In Luke chapter 1, God's story from the Old Testament picks up in Luke chapter 1, and we'll see that in just a moment. And in Luke 1, God's promised messenger is coming, and we'll explain that further as we uh, get into this. The four points we want to take consideration of is the setting from Luke 1, the story that's contained there in Luke 1, Zacharias, because he's the priest that is serving at that time, and then the purpose of that story and why Luke records these things for us. So I'll just pull up that first point, uh, the setting. Now, you may be wondering what kind of inspired this lesson here today because we've been studying from 1 Samuel on Wednesday nights. We're studying from Titus on Sunday mornings. And now today we're going to talk about Luke 1. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you. It's December 5th. And you know where people's thoughts are already starting to go. It's going to December 25th. And so at this time of year, a lot of times you'll hear preachers get up and they will give lessons on Luke the second chapter. And unto you this day, in the city of David, a Savior is born, Christ Jesus the Lord. Right? Well, before you ever get to Luke chapter 2, there's Luke chapter 1. <laughs> and that's really where the story picks up from the Old Testament, and that's what I want us to take a look at today. In Luke chapter 1, what we're going to see is that's really a fulfillment of a promise that's made to Malachi at the close of the Old Testament in chapter 3, where God will say through the prophet Malachi that I am going to send my messenger. And we'll get a little further into that in a few moments. But I want to call your attention also to Galatians, the fourth chapter and verse 4, where the Apostle Paul said, In the fullness of time... God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Well, there's some things that have to take place before that can happen. Before Luke chapter 2 can happen, Luke chapter 1 has got to happen. And so that's what I want us to take a look at this morning because that's really where the story picks up from the Old Testament. So Luke chapter 1, here's the setting. Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Immediately, Luke writes these things. There's a king, and not just any king, this king, this Herod. And there is this priest, and not just any priest, this priest, Zacharias. And he has a wife, and her name is Elizabeth. So Luke gives us the details so we can point to that point in time. Luke's writing to a man by the name of Theophilus. Luke is a historian. And he writes with detail. And by writing with such detail, in essence, what he is saying to Theophilus is, Theophilus, I want you to check these things out. <laughs> this is during the days of Herod, 
And this was a man by the name of Zacharias. And I'm going to even tell you the division that he was of. And that was of Abijah. So you can check that out. And his wife was Elizabeth. Check that out. At this particular time, as he mentions Herod, Judea, Jerusalem, is under Roman occupation. Herod is the one who has been selected some 20 plus years earlier to rule over this particular reason. Romans were very good at keeping historical records. You can check this out. (laughs) And that's what Luke is saying. Now this is not a very politically pleasing situation to the Jews having Rome occupy their land and them being in subjection to them and abiding by their rules also and paying them taxes. And so Herod is in kind a precarious situation. His allegiance is to Rome and if it's not He won't be there very long. But at the same time, he knows that he rules over a group of people that does not appreciate being ruled by Rome. And so he kind of walks a fine line. And Herod has to rule control over this area. And what we see from Herod is, is that sometimes he uses the carrot and sometimes he uses the stick. And that's the way he maintains control. I'll tell you a little bit about this, Herod. You can read this historically. This was a cruel man. He killed a wife. He killed two sons. This is the same Herod that's recorded in Matthew, the second chapter. You remember when the wise men came? And they said they were searching for that one who was born king of the Jews. And what did Herod say? Oh, tell me. Where I can find him for I too want to come and worship him. And the wise men were warned in a vision and they went out the other way and never returned. And what did Herod do? He sent the soldiers to that area. And he slaughtered every male child. Two years old and under. He could be ruthless. To ensure that he would maintain control. But on the other end of that. This is the same Herod. That a number of years earlier. Has started a reconstructing. A remodeling. An expansion. Of the temple. And the temple area. And in essence, this is sort of Herod's way of trying to appease the Jews and somehow, in some way, kind of show that he has a little respect for them. He doesn't really, but I'll do this. And maybe that will appease them. And I can kind of maintain control. And Rome will be pleased. And I can kind of walk this tight line. At the same time, Luke mentions that there's this priest by the name of Zacharias. And his name means Yahweh remembers. And his wife's name is Elizabeth. And her name means the promise of Elohim. 
So you put the two of them together and what you have is Yahweh remembers His promise. What promise? That's Malachi 3. In verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. God has promised some 400 years earlier that he is going to send his messenger and that this messenger will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the children back to their fathers. That's the setting. So now the story, and we're going to do a little reading together and we'll move down through this fairly quickly. But I want you to keep in this in mind as we take a look at verses 5 through 25 now. Sometimes we read this and, and we notice the characters that are mentioned there. There's going to be Zacharias. There's going to be Elizabeth. There's going to be a son. And there's going to be an angel by the name of Gabriel. And sometimes we read Luke chapter 1 and we think, oh, this is the story about Zacharias, Elizabeth, and, and Gabriel. Well, I want you to keep this perfectly straight. This is not their story. <laughs> they are a part of the story. They are important characters in the story. But this is God's story. And we're just picking it up. From the Old Testament. First. There's going to be. A messenger. Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. There was in the days of Herod. The king of Judea. A certain priest named Zacharias. Of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God. Walking in all the commandments. And ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Once again, Luke records, it's the days of Herod, a certain priest, his wife, they are righteous, they are advanced in age, they have no child. An old man, an old woman, they have no child. That's God's plan. This is exactly the way God wanted it to be. This priest, this woman, this time. Verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing in the right, on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. For your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. 
He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Think a moment. Here's Zacharias. It's the hour of prayer. He's been chosen. He approaches the altar of incense. This is in the holy place. He places that incense upon that altar and he begins to pray and there's an angel. We're told it's Gabriel. And Gabriel has a message for him. You're going to have a son. And what's Zacharias' response? Wait a minute. There must be some kind of mix-up here. I am an old man, and my wife is an old woman. And so he doubts. And so how does Gabriel then respond to Zacharias? It's essentially like this. No, there's a mix-up here, but it's on your end, not mine. You are an old man. I know that. (laughs) You are a priest. I know that. Your wife is an old woman. I know that. But do you know who I am? (laughs) I'm Gabriel. And guess where I come from? I stand in the presence of God. So, verse 20. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which would be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among his people. So Zacharias, how will you know that these things are going to be so? Because you didn't believe me, this is what's going to happen. You're not going to be able to talk. And you won't be able to talk until that son is born. And so what does Zacharias do? After he is finished there, he goes outside. And the people recognize that he has lingered a long time. And they're wondering what's going on. And he comes out and he can't talk. But it says that he beckoned to them. What did that look like?
And then he goes on. And Elizabeth, she hides herself for five months. Why'd she do that? The fact that Zacharias can't speak until John, his son, is born. And these details that Luke gives us, they're all given for a reason, and it's significant. An older priest, an older wife, way beyond normal childbearing years. And he's chosen at this time to serve at the altar of incense. And then Gabriel appears and he delivers this message. But Zechariah is unable to speak and the people are confused. And maybe... Maybe they won't believe Zacharias' story. So I want to fast forward. I want you to look at verse 57. Luke chapter 1 and verse 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. And he asked asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, His name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept kept them in their hearts saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Theophilus, this is what happened. Theophilus, this is when it happened. Theophilus, this is the people who were involved in this. And this woman had a child that was way beyond normal childbearing years. And Theophilus, the word of this spread and people talked about it. You can check it out. This made the local papers. (laughs) This old man and this old woman had this child. And this priest couldn't speak for a period of time. And then nine months later when the child is to be named and needs to be circumcised, all of a sudden now he can speak again. Check it out, Theophilus. This points to their question what kind of child shall this be that's exactly the kind of question God wanted them to be asking so now then Zacharias you know 
I would have loved to have seen Zacharias's face. And you may be thinking, oh, you mean when he saw Gabriel. Nope. I want you to look at verse 9. According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. That's when I would have liked to have seen his face. You want to know why? Because at this time in Israel, most scholars, historians, would say that there's probably at least 20,000 priests at this time in Israel. The priesthood has been divided into divisions. That's why it's mentioned there that he is of the division of Abijah. If you go back to 1 Chronicles, the 24th chapter, which we'll get there one of these days. We're in 1 Samuel now. It's David who divides up the priesthood into divisions because there are so many of them. And so Zacharias is of the division of Abijah. And so most scholars suggest this would be a once-in-a-lifetime event This is an honor. This is a privilege. This is a responsibility. You on this day are going to be the priest that will go into the holy place. And you will place that incense on that altar. You will be the one who offers up prayers for this nation. It's huge. Elizabeth, get my robe. Take it to the cleaners. (laughs) I've got to get ready for this. This is what you want to keep in mind. Out of the multitude, out of the multitude of priests, it's this one. It's Zacharias. It's this old man. And with an old wife. And way beyond normal childbearing years. It's at this Time. This man, this moment, he'll stand in the holy place. Just him and the altar and God. And just outside, there's thousands of priests. And just beyond them, it says in verse 10. There's a multitude that is praying. And this is the hour of prayer. It happens twice a day. And he stands before the altar of incense. The altar of incense sits right in front of the Holy of Holies. And the entrance into the Holy of Holies has this curtain, heavy material curtain. And it stretches from the very top to the very bottom of that entrance. And it blocks out all light. And on the other side of it, it's total darkness in the Holy of Holies. 
No one goes in there except the high priest. And that's once a year. The high priest goes in there. And that's on the day of atonement. So think about that. The Holy of Holies. This is the heart of the temple. This is in Jerusalem. And where Zacharias stands, he stands at the epic center. of all that is Judaism. This is it. This is the temple, but not just the temple. This is the holy place. And I stand within inches of the holy of holies. For centuries, the holy of holies has contained the Ark of the Covenant. It's a small box-shaped piece of furniture. And inside of it are the tablets and Aaron's rod that budded and the manna. And over it, there's like a lid. And on that lid, there are two angels and they face each other with their wings outstretched. But they're not looking at each other, they're looking down. And the reason why is because right there on that lid in that middle on that seat uncovering the Ark of the Covenant, that's the mercy seat. The entire thing is overlaid in gold. And on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter in and he would offer up blood. The blood of a sacrifice first for himself and then for the nation, for the people. This is where. This is the point. This is the place. Where intercession. By means of the high priest. And by means of the blood of the sacrifice. That atonement was made. On their behalf. This is God. This is sacrifice. This is man. This is where we meet. This is atonement. This is at one This is where God and man meet. And God allows this sacrifice. But at this moment... When Zacharias stands in the holy place just outside of that curtain at the altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant is not in there. It's not in the Holy of Holies. And it hasn't been there for centuries. Some 500 years earlier a little more 
The Babylonians had conquered. They had overrun Judah and Jerusalem. And they had destroyed the temple. They had destroyed the city. And at that point in time, the ark disappears. Never to be heard from again. That's why Indiana Jones went looking for it. Right? It's gone. And it's not there. No one knows for sure what happened to it. But I want you to think with me for just a moment. Down through the ages, there have been three temples. The very first one, you can read about being dedicated in 1 Kings, the 8th chapter. That one was referred to as Solomon's temple. You remember we've talked about that even recently. How David desired to build a temple, but God said, no, you're a man of bloodshed. You're not going, your son will be the one. That temple was built around 960, 965 B.C. It stood for about 400 years. But then in 586, the Babylonians come. And they destroy Jerusalem. And they destroy the temple. And that's when we lose track of the Ark of the Covenant. But about 70 years later, there's a remnant of the Jews that will return from Babylonian captivity. And they will first be led by a man by the name of Zerubbabel. Remember him? And that's oftentimes referred to as Zerubbabel's temple or the second temple. And it will take a period of time and God will have to send a couple of post-exile prophets to encourage them and motivate them to rebuild it. And finally, they will complete that temple. And you can read about its dedication in the book of Ezra. And then thirdly, there's what is referred to as Herod's temple. That's the temple that Zacharias is standing in at this time. And the reason why it's referred to as Herod's temple is because Herod is the one who has allowed money funds to be poured into in an effort to try to appease the Jews to make the temple more glorious, to make it larger, to expand the temple hill. And so sometimes it's referred to as Herod's temple. And so those are the three. But at Solomon's temple, 1 Kings 8 chapter, when the temple was dedicated and the priests brought in the Ark of the Covenant and placed it in there, there was a couple of things very interesting that took place. For instance, one of the things, the altar of sacrifice that set out front, and it required fire, right? Guess where that fire came from? That came down from heaven. And then that temple, it was filled with a cloud and with smoke. And the glory of the Lord descended upon it. It was magnificent. It was a glorious event. But then later it's destroyed. And so after the remnant returns from captivity, they rebuild what is referred to as the second temple or as Zerubbabel's temple. But it's 
not like that first temple. And at the dedication of that temple, there's none of these miraculous things that takes place. And the glory of the Lord does not fill that temple. But there's a promise. And that promise comes through Haggai. And you can read about that in Haggai, the second chapter. And it's through the prophet Haggai that God will will make this promise. He said, I will fill this temple. And its glory will be greater than it was before. But the people just didn't really understand. It didn't take place at that moment. And how was God going to fill that temple with His glory? Well, this time, it's going to be different. Because this time when His glory fills the temple, His glory will come from Nazareth. And He'll walk the dusty roads of Galilee. And he'll walk the streets of Jerusalem. And he'll climb the stairs out front. And the glory of the Lord will walk right through the front door. And he'll mingle with the people. And that glory will be greater than anything they've ever seen before. Because this time his glory won't be made manifest by smoke and by cloud. This time his glory will be made manifest in the flesh. That's why John records in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word dwelt among us. Verse 14. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. That's why in verse 15, John will say that he declares the one who comes after him because he is greater than him because he was before him. This is where we are in history. This is the unfolding of God's plan. This is God fulfilling His promise. This is God fulfilling Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. This is God fulfilling Haggai chapter 2 when He says His glory will fill that temple. This is the day. This is the moment. After 400 years of silence, at this point in time, God's going to break that silence. 
And you know who's going to break it? Gabriel. Who's he going to break it to? Zacharias, that man that's too old to have a son. But the lot has fallen to him. At this moment, this man will stand before the altar of incense and Gabriel will be there. It's as if God and all of heaven have been watching these events. And finally, on this day, at this moment, in this time, with this priest, he stands before the altar of incense and he spreads that incense out and he begins to pray as the smoke because the incense, the smoke represents the prayers of Israel. And as Zacharias starts to pray, Gabriel, go. He's there. Zacharias. You're going to have a son. What? No, I'm too old. You don't really know who I am. No, I know who you are. Zacharias, we've been waiting for you. For this moment. For this time. And what you need to know is I'm Gabriel. And I stand in the very presence of God. And God sent me. And I bring, he says, glad tidings. I bring good news. So you know, as we think about that, we think, well, here's Zacharias. He's an elderly priest. And we're told, Luke records this, that his wife's older and they don't have a son. And so sometimes I think we read that and we think, well, if Zacharias is praying, what's he praying for? Well, he's praying for his son. And I read this again, I go, don't think so. Because he admits right there, I'm an old man. (laughs) I think they stopped praying for that son a long time ago. It's just not God's will. It's not going to happen, so I'm going to quit praying about it. Plus... The lot fell to Zacharias to serve in the holy place at this moment in time. This is a huge responsibility. This is a huge privilege. This is a huge honor. And when you go in there and pray, what are you going to pray for? I'm going to pray for this nation. And I'm going to pray for its deliverance. Its deliverance from sin. And from these Romans. And then what happens? Gabriel appears. Zacharias, you're going to have a son. And he says, Your prayers have been heard. Was he praying for a son? I don't think so. 
I think he was praying for his nation. And I think he was praying for their deliverance. But Zacharias, you don't want to know how God's going to bring that deliverance? (laughs) You're going to have a son. (laughs) Zacharias, you're a part of this plan. A plan that's been on hold, so to speak, for 400 years. But you have an important part. And Elizabeth has an important part. And your son is going to be something special. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to turn this nation back to the Lord. And he's going to help prepare the way. That's God's plan. Well, I don't know. (laughs) Okay, well, you're not going to speak for a while. So you'll have time to think about it. And then finally, Elizabeth has a son. And they bring him to be circumcised on the eighth day. What's his name? John. Well, that doesn't seem right. No. Ask his father. Let me write it down. And then he can speak. And people marvel at that. And after his priestly service, it says he goes home. Now, let me tell you what normally would happen if he could talk. (laughs) After the priest went in and served, he would come back out and there would be some kind of blessing that would be pronounced upon the people because the whole nation has been out there praying together. And some kind of blessing would be pronounced upon the people and then they would disperse and go home. But on this occasion, Zacharias can't speak. (laughs) And so it says that he goes back home. And Elizabeth, what's she do? She hides herself for five months. Why? Because nobody's going to believe this story. <laughs> but after five months, oh, <laughs> now I see. You're pregnant. So this is true. And then after she has that son, they bring him to the temple to be circumcised and to be named. And in verse 65 and verse 66, Luke tells Theophilus, everybody was talking about this, Theophilus. Check it out. So what's the purpose of the story? Number one, I think the intent is is revealed for us in verse 4. Luke says, so that you might know the certainty of these things. If you read down through verses 1 through 4, Luke is a historian. And he mentions eyewitnesses. In other words, Luke researched this. He hunted it out. He got the details from those who were there and those who were eyewitnesses. And he wrote it down and he says, Theophilus, I write these things so that you might know of a certain those things which you have been taught. Check it out. That's the same point to us. This is a historical document, Luke. Check it out. You can verify outside of the Scriptures what he says. But secondly, Luke wants Theophilus and the rest of us to see the redemption story. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, 
for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Verse 17. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You know what that's saying? This is all part of God's plan. And you need to see where John comes in. You need to see where you come in, Zacharias. You need to see where your wife comes in and the role that your son is going to play. You have a part in God's plan. So what's the point? You have a part in God's plan. I have a part in God's plan. Question is, same question that they might have for Zacharias and for Elizabeth. And at first Zacharias doubted. Do you believe it? And that you can be a part of God's plan? And will you do your part? Zacharias and Elizabeth, old man, old woman, had to do their part. Otherwise, there wasn't going to be a John. But there was. And we have to think the same thing too. What's our part? And am I going to do my part? And then thirdly, we need to see the person of Jesus Christ in this story. Zacharias, Elizabeth, Gabriel, John, they're all parts, they're characters within, but this is God's story. This is the lead up. This is Jesus' story. This is the glory of God. It's all finished with this. The reason why I told you all those things about the temple and about the Ark of the Covenant is because under the old law, that's where God and sacrifice and man met. That's where atonement was made. But once Jesus Christ came, we have to ask ourselves, where do we meet with God? Where does God come? Where does sacrifice come? Where does man come and meet together? You know where that is? It's at the cross. God's there. Sacrifice. You come. You bring your sin. That's where atonement is made. Luke 1 leads to Luke 2. That's where the story picks up from the Old Testament. So I want to extend the invitation to any and all that are here this morning. God wants you to be a part of His plan. And so Jesus says, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. You can become a part of God's people. And as a child of God, have you been living faithfully, doing your part? If you need to come back and make your life right, we want to help in any way we can. While together we stand and while we sing.